0: Welcome to Just Listen, a celebration of literature from Nashville Public Library. For more stories and poetry, visit our website at library.nashville.org. Please feel free to leave a comment or to make requests or recommendations. And now, for today's selection. Our last encounters with Adela, our protagonist, show her to be in the throes of three troubled relationships, with her father, Colonel Chart, with his fiancée, Mrs. Churchley, and with her brother, Godfrey. As our story reopens, we find Godfrey, Adela's brother, on the eve of his examinations. We offer you parts three and four of The Marriages, by Henry James. We begin. She saw nothing of him for nearly a week. He had more and more his own times and hours, adjusted to his tremendous responsibilities, and he spent whole days at his crammer's. When she knocked at his door late in the evening, he was regularly not in his room. It was known in the house now how much he was worried. He was horribly nervous about his ordeal. It was to begin on the 23rd of June, and his father was as worried as himself. The wedding had been arranged in relation to this. They wished poor Godfrey's fate settled first, though they felt the nuptials would be darkened if it shouldn't be settled right. Ten days after that performance of her private undertaking, Adela began to sniff, as it were, a difference in the general air, but as yet she was afraid to exult. It wasn't in truth a difference for the better, so that there might be still a great tension. Her father, since the announcement of his intended marriage, had been visibly pleased with himself, but that pleasure now appeared to have undergone a check. She had the impression known to the passengers on a great steamer when, in the middle of the night, they feel the engine stop. As this impression may easily sharpen to the sense that something serious had happened, so the girl asked herself what had actually occurred. She had expected something serious, but it was as if she couldn't keep still in her cabin. She wanted to go up and see. On the twentieth, just before breakfast, her maid brought her a message from her brother. Mr. Godfrey would be obliged if she would speak to him in his room. She went straight up to him, dreading to find him ill, broken down on the eve of his formidable week. This was not the case, however. He rather seemed already at work, to have been at work since dawn, but he was very white, and his eyes had a strange and new expression. Her beautiful young brother looked older. He looked haggard and hard. He met her there, as if he had been waiting for her, and he said at once, "'Please tell me this, Adela.' What was the purpose of your visit the other morning to Mrs. Churchley, the day I met you at her door? She stared. She cast about. The purpose? What's the matter? Why do you ask? They've put it off. They've put it off a month. Oh, thank God, said Adela. Why the devil do you thank God? Godfrey asked with a strange impatience. She gave a strained, intense smile. "'You know, I think it was all wrong.' "'He stood looking at her up and down. "'What did you do there? "'How did you interfere?' "'Who told you I interfered?' "'She returned with a deep flush. "'You said something. "'You did something. "'I knew you had done it when I saw you come out. "'What I did was my own business.' "'Damn your own business!' cried the young man. "'She had never in her life been so spoken to.' and in advance, had she been given the choice, she would have said that she'd rather die than be so handled by Godfrey. But her spirit was high, and for a moment she was as angry as if she had been cut with a whip. She escaped the blow, but felt the insult. "'And your business, then?' she asked. "'I wondered what that was when I saw you.' He stood a moment longer scowling at her, then with the exclamation, "'You've made a pretty mess!' He turned away from her and sat down to his books. They had put it off, as he said. Her father was dry and stiff and official about it. I suppose I had better let you know we've thought it best to postpone our marriage till the end of the summer. Mrs. Churchley has so many arrangements to make. He was not more expansive than that. She neither knew nor greatly cared whether she but vainly imagined or correctly observed him to watch her obliquely for some measure of her receipt of these words. She flattered herself that, thanks to Godfrey's forewarning, cruel as the form of it had been, she was able to repress any crude signs of elation. She had a perfectly good conscience, for she could now judge what odious elements Mrs. Churchley, whom she had not seen since the morning in Prince's Gate, had already introduced into their dealings. She gathered without difficulty that her father hadn't concurred at the postponement, for he was more restless than before, more absent and distinctly irritable. There was naturally still the question of how much of this condition was to be attributed to his solicitude about Godfrey. That young man took occasion to say a horrible thing to his sister. If I don't pass, it will be your fault. These were dreadful days for the girl, and she asked herself how she could have borne them if the hovering spirit of her mother had not been at her side. Fortunately, she always felt it there, sustaining, commending, sanctifying. Suddenly, her father announced to her that he wished her to go immediately, with her sisters, down to Brinton, where there was always part of a household, and where for a few weeks they would manage well enough. The only explanation he gave of this desire was that he wanted them out of the way. "'Out of the way of what?' she queried, since there were to be for the time no preparations in Seymour Street. She was willing to take it for out of the way of his nerves. She never needed urging, however, to go to Brinton, the dearest old house in the world, where the happiest days of her young life had been spent, and the silent nearness of her mother always seemed greatest.' She was happy again, with Beatrice and Muriel and Miss Flynn, with the air of summer and the haunted rooms and her mother's garden and the talking oaks and the nightingales. She wrote briefly to her father, giving him, as he had requested, an account of things, and he wrote back that since she was so contented, she didn't recognize having told him that, she had better not return to town at all. The fag end of the London season would be unimportant to her, and he was getting on very well. He mentioned that Godfrey had passed his tests, but, as she knew, there would be a tiresome wait before news of the results. The poor chap was going abroad for a month with young Sherard. He had earned a little rest and a little fun. He went abroad without a word to Adela, but in his beautiful little hand he took a chaffing leave of Beatrice. The child showed her sister the letter, of which she was very proud and which contained no message for anyone else. This was the worst bitterness of the whole crisis for that somebody, its placing in so strange a light the creature in the world whom, after her mother, she had loved best. Colonel Chart had said he would run down while his children were at Brinton, but they heard no more about it. He only wrote two or three times more to Miss Flynn on matters in regard to which Adela was surprised he shouldn't have communicated with herself. Muriel accomplished an upright little letter to Mrs. Churchley, her eldest sister neither fostered nor discouraged the performance, to which Mrs. Churchley replied after a fortnight in a meager and, as Adela thought, illiterate fashion, making no allusion to the approach of any closer tie. Evidently the situation had changed. The question of the marriage was dropped, at any rate, for the time. This gave our young woman a singular and almost intoxicating sense of power. She felt as if she were riding a great wave of confidence. She had decided and acted. The greatest could do no more than that. The grand thing was to see one's results. And what else was she doing? These results were in big, rich, conspicuous lives. The stage was large on which she moved her figures. Such a vision was exciting and as they had the use of a couple of ponies at Brinton, she worked off her excitement by a long gallop. A day or two after this, however, came news of which the effect was to rekindle it. Godfrey had come back. The list had been published. He had passed first. These happy tidings proceeded from the young man himself. He announced them by a telegram to Beatrice, who had never in her life before received such a missive and was proportionately inflated. Adela reflected that she herself ought to have felt snubbed, but she was too happy. They were free again. They were themselves. The nightmare of the previous weeks was blown away, the unity and dignity of her father's life restored, and, to round off her sense of success, Godfrey had achieved his first step toward high distinction. She wrote him the next day as frankly and affectionately as if there had been no estrangement between them and besides telling him how she rejoiced in his triumph, begged him in charity to let them know exactly how the case stood with regard to Mrs. Churchley. Late in the summer afternoon she walked through the park to the village with her letter, posted it, and came back. Suddenly, at one of the turns of the avenue, halfway to the house, she saw a young man hover there as if awaiting her, a young man who proved to be Godfrey, on his pedestrian progress over from the station. He had seen her as he took his shortcut, and if he had come down to Brinton it wasn't apparently to avoid her. There was nevertheless none of the joy of his triumph in his face as he came a very few steps to meet her, and although stiffly enough he let her kiss him and say, I'm so glad, I'm so glad. She felt his tolerance as not quite the mere calm of the rising diplomatist. He turned upwards to the house with her and walked on a short distance while she uttered the hope that he had come to stay some days. "'Only till tomorrow morning. They're sending me straight to Madrid. I came down to say good-bye. There's a fellow bringing my bags.' "'To Madrid! How awfully nice! And it's awfully nice of you to have come,' she said as she passed her hand into his arm. The movement made him stop and stopping, he turned on her in a flash a face of something more than suspicion, of passionate reprobation. What I really came for, you might as well know without more delay, is to ask you a question. A question? She echoed it with a beating heart. They stood there under the old trees in the lingering light, and young and fine and fair as they both were, formed a complete superficial harmony with the peaceful English scene. A near view, however, would have shown that Godfrey Chart hadn't taken so much trouble only to skim the surface. He looked deeply into his sister's eyes. What was it you said that morning to Mrs. Churchley? She fixed them on the ground a moment, but at last met his own again. If she has told you, why do you ask? She has told me nothing. I've seen for myself. What have you seen? She has broken it off. "'Everything's over. Father's in the depths.' "'In the depths?' the girl quavered. "'Did you think it would really make him jolly?' he went on. "'She had to choose what to say. "'He'll get over it. He'll be glad. "'That remains to be seen. You interfered. You invented something. "'You got round her. I insist on knowing what you did.' Adela felt that if it was a question of obstinacy, there was something within her she could count on. In spite of which, while she stood looking down again a moment, she said to herself, I could be dumb and dogged if I choose, but I scorn to be. She wasn't ashamed of what she had done, but she wanted to be clear. Are you absolutely certain it's broken off? He is, and she is, so that's as good. What reason has she given? None at all, or half a dozen. It's the same thing. She has changed her mind. She mistook her feelings. She can't part with her independence. Moreover, he has too many children. Did he tell you this? the girl asked. Mrs. Churchley told me. She has gone abroad for a year. And she didn't tell you what I said to her? Godfrey showed an impatience. Why should I take this trouble if she had? You might have taken it to make me suffer, said Adela. That appears to be what you want to do. No, I leave that to you. It's the good turn you've done me, cried the young man with hot tears in his eyes. She stared, aghast with the perception that there was some dreadful thing she didn't know. But he walked on, dropping the question angrily and turning his back to her as if he couldn't trust himself. She read his disgust in his averted face, in the way he squared his shoulders and smote the ground with his stick, and she hurried after him and presently overtook him. She kept by him for a moment in silence. Then she broke out. What do you mean? What in the world have I done to you? She would have helped me. She was all ready to help me, Godfrey portentously said. Helped you in what? She wondered what he meant. If he had made debts that he was afraid to confess to his father and, of all horrible things, had been looking to Mrs. Churchley to pay— she turned red with the mere apprehension of this and, on the heels of her guests, exulted again at having perhaps averted such a shame. Can't you just see I'm in trouble? Where are your eyes, your senses, your sympathy that you talk so much about? Haven't you seen these six months that I've a cursed worry in my life? She seized his arm, made him stop, stood looking up at him like a frightened little girl. What's the matter, Godfrey? What is the matter? You've gone against me, so I could strangle you, he growled. This image added nothing to her dread. Her dread was that he had done some wrong, was stained with some guilt. She uttered it to him with clasped hands, begging him to tell her the worst. But, still more passionately, he cut her short with his own cry. In God's name, satisfy me! What infernal thing did you do? It wasn't infernal. It was right. "'I told her Mama had been wretched,' said Adela. "'Wretched? You told her such a lie?' "'It was the only way, and she believed me.' "'Wretched how? Wretched when? Wretched where?' the young man stammered. "'I told her Papa had made her so, and that she ought to know it. "'I told her the question troubled me unspeakably, "'but that I had made up my mind it was my duty to initiate her.' Adela paused the light of bravado in her face, as if, though struck while the words came with the monstrosity of what she had done, she was incapable of abating a jot of it. I notified her that he had faults and peculiarities that made Mamma's life a long worry, a martyrdom that she hid wonderfully from the world, but that we saw and that I had often pitied. I told her what they were, those faults and peculiarities. I put the dots on the I's. I said it wasn't fair to let another person marry him without a warning. I warned her. I satisfied my conscience. She could do as she liked. My responsibility was over. Godfrey gazed at her. He listened with parted lips, incredulous and appalled. You invented such a tissue of falsities and calumnies, and you talk about your conscience? You stand there in your senses and proclaim your crime. I'd have committed any crime that would have rescued us. You insult and blacken and ruin your own father, Godfrey kept on. He'll never know it. She took a vow she wouldn't tell him. Ah! I'll be damned if I won't tell him, he rang out. Adela felt sick at this, but she flamed up to resent the treachery as it struck her of such a menace. I did right, I did right, she vehemently declared. I went down on my knees to pray for guidance, and I saved Mama's memory from outrage. But if I hadn't, if I hadn't, she faltered an instant, I'm not worse than you, and I'm not so bad, for you've done something that you're ashamed to tell me. He had taken out his watch. He looked at it with quick intensity, as if not hearing nor heeding her. Then, his calculating eyes raised, he fixed her long enough to exclaim with unsurpassable horror and contempt, You raving maniac! He turned away from her. He bounded down the avenue in the direction from which they had come, and while she watched him, strode away across the grass toward the shortcut to the station. Part 4 His bags, by the time she got home, had been brought to the house, but Beatrice and Muriel, immediately informed of this, waited for their brother in vain. Their sister said nothing to them of her having seen him, and she accepted after a little, with a calmness that surprised herself, the idea that he had returned to town to denounce her. She believed this would make no difference now. She had done what she had done. She had somehow a stiff faith in Mrs. Churchley. Once that so considerable mass had received its impetus, it wouldn't, it couldn't pull up. It represented a heavy footed person, incapable of further agility. Adela recognized, too, how well it might have come over her that there were too many children. Lastly, the girl fortified herself with the reflection, grotesque in the conditions and conducing to prove her sense of humor not high, that her father was, after all, not a man to be played with. It seemed to her, at any rate, that if she had baffled his unholy purpose, she could bear anything bear imprisonment and bread and water, bear lashes and torture, bear even his lifelong reproach. What she could bear least was the wonder of the inconvenience she had inflicted on Godfrey. She had time to turn this over, very vainly, for a succession of days, days more numerous than she had expected, which passed without bringing her from London any summons to come up and take her punishment. She sounded the possible, she compared the degrees of the probable, feeling, however, that as a cloistered girl she was poorly equipped for speculation. She tried to imagine the calamitous things young men might do, and could only feel that such things would naturally be connected either with borrowed money or with bad women. She became conscious that, after all, she knew almost nothing about either of those interests. The worst woman she knew was Mrs. Churchley herself. Meanwhile, there was no reverberation from Seymour Street, only a sultry silence." At Brinton, she spent hours in her mother's garden, where she had grown up, where she considered that she was training for old age, since she meant not to depend on whist. She loved the place as, had she been a good Catholic, she would have loved the smell of her parish church, and indeed there was in her passion for flowers something of the respect of a religion. They seemed to her the only things in the world that really respected themselves, unless one made an exception for nutkins— who had been in command all through her mother's time, with whom she had had a real friendship, and who had been affected by their pure example. He was the person left in the world with whom, on the whole, she could speak most intimately of the dead. They never had to name her together. They only said she, and Nutkins freely conceded that she had taught him everything he knew. When Beatrice and Muriel said she, they referred to Mrs. Churchley. Adela had reason to believe she should never marry, and that some day she should have about a thousand a year. This made her see in the far future a little garden of her own, under a hill, full of rare and exquisite things, where she would spend most of her old age on her knees with an apron and stout gloves, with a pair of shears and a trowel, steeped in the comfort of being thought mad. One morning, ten days after her scene with Godfrey, On coming back into the house shortly before lunch, she was met by Miss Flynn with the notification that a lady in the drawing-room had been waiting her for some minutes. A lady suggested immediately Mrs. Churchley. It came over Adela that the form in which her penalty was to descend would be a personal explanation with that misdirected woman. The lady had given no name, and Miss Flynn hadn't seen Mrs. Churchley. Nevertheless, the governess was certain Adela's surmise was wrong. Is she big and dreadful? the girl asked. Miss Flynn, who was circumspection itself, took her time. She's dreadful, but she's not big. She added that she wasn't sure she ought to let Adela go in alone, but this young lady took herself throughout for a heroine, and it wasn't in a heroine to shrink from any encounter. Wasn't she every instant in transcendent contact with her mother? The visitor might have no connection whatever with the drama of her father's frustrated marriage, but everything today for Adela was part of that. Miss Flynn's description had prepared her for a considerable shock, but she wasn't agitated by her first glimpse of the person who awaited her. A youngish, well-dressed woman stood there, and silence was between them while they looked at each other. Before either had spoken, however, Adela began to see what Miss Flynn had intended. In the light of the drawing-room window the lady was five and thirty years of age and had vivid yellow hair. She also had a blue cloth suit with brass buttons, a stick-up collar like a gentleman's, a necktie arranged in a sailor's knot, a golden pin in the shape of a little lawn tennis racket, and pearl-gray gloves with big black stitching. Adela's second impression was that she was an actress, and her third, that no such person had ever before crossed that threshold. I'll tell you what I've come for, said the apparition. I've come to ask you to intercede. She wasn't an actress. An actress would have had a nicer voice. To intercede? Adela was too bewildered to ask her to sit down. With your father, you know. He doesn't know, but he'll have to. Her have sounded like ave. She explained, with many more such sounds, that she was Mrs. Godfrey, that they had been married seven mortal months. If Godfrey was going abroad, she must go with him, and the only way she could go with him would be for his father to do something. He was afraid of his father. That was clear. He was afraid even to tell him. What she had come down for was to see some other member of the family, face to face, face to face, Mrs. Godfrey called it, and try if he couldn't be approached by another side. If no one else would act, then she would have to act herself. The colonel would have to do something. That was the only way out of it. What really happened Adela never quite understood. What seemed to be happening was that the room went round and round. Through the blur of perception accompanying this effect, the sharp stabs of her visitor's revelation came to her like the words heard by a patient, going off under ether. She afterwards denied passionately even to herself that she had done anything so abject as to faint, but there was a lapse in her consciousness on the score of Miss Flynn's intervention. This intervention had evidently been active— for when they talked the matter over later in the day, with bated breath and infinite dissimulation for the schoolroom quarter, the governess had more lurid truths, and still more, to impart than to receive. She was at any rate under the impression that she had athletically contended, in the drawing room, with the yellow hair, this after removing Adela from the scene and before inducing Mrs. Godfrey to withdraw. Miss Flynn had never known a more thrilling day, for all the rest of it was pervaded with agitations and conversations, precautions and alarms. It was given out to Beatrice and Muriel that their sister had been taken suddenly ill, and the governess ministered to her in her room. Indeed, Adela had never found herself less at ease, for this time she had received a blow that she couldn't return. There was nothing to do but take it, to endure the humiliation of her wound. At first she declined to take it, having, as might appear, the much more attractive resource of regarding her visitant as a mere masquerading person, an impudent impostor. On the face of the matter, moreover, it wasn't fair to believe till one heard, and to hear in such a case was to hear Godfrey himself. Whatever she had tried to imagine about him, she hadn't arrived at anything so belittling as an idiotic secret marriage with a dyed and painted hag. Adela repeated this last word as if it gave her comfort, and indeed where everything was so bad fifteen years of seniority made the case little worse. Miss Flynn was portentous, for Miss Flynn had had it out with the wretch. She had cross-examined her and had not broken her down. This was the most uplifted hour of Miss Flynn's life, for whereas she had usually to content herself with being humbly and gloomily in the right, she could now be magnanimously and showily so. Her only perplexity was as to what she ought to do, write to Colonel Chart or go up to town to see him. She bloomed with alternatives. She resembled some dull garden path which under a copious downpour has begun to flaunt with colour. Toward evening Adela was obliged to recognise that her brother's worry, of which he had spoken to her, had appeared bad enough to consist even of a low wife, and to remember that, so far from being inconceivable a young man in his position should clandestinely take one, she had been present, years before, during her mother's lifetime, when Lady Molesley declared gaily over a cup of tea that this was precisely what she expected of her eldest son. The next morning it was the worst possibilities that seemed clearest, the only thing left with a tatter of dusky comfort being the ambiguity of Godfrey's charge that her own action had done for him. That was a matter by itself, and she racked her brains for a connecting link between Mrs. Churchley and Mrs. Godfrey. At last she made up her mind that they were related by blood, very likely, though differing in fortune. There were cousins or even sisters. But even then, what did the wretched boy mean? Arrested by the unnatural fascination of an opportunity, Miss Flynn received before lunch a telegram from Colonel Chart, an order for dinner and a vehicle. He and Godfrey were to arrive at six o'clock. Adela had plenty of occupation for the interval, since she was pitying her father when she wasn't rejoicing that her mother had gone too soon to know. She flattered herself she had made out the providential reason of that cruelty now. She found time, however, still to wonder for what purpose, given the situation, Godfrey was to be brought down. She wasn't unconscious, indeed, that she had little general knowledge of what usually was done with young men in that predicament. One talked about the situation, but the situation was an abyss. She felt this still more when she found, on her father's arrival, that nothing apparently was to happen as she had taken for granted it would. There was an inviolable hush over the whole affair but no tragedy, no publicity, nothing ugly. The tragedy had been in town. The faces of the two men spoke of it in spite of their other perfunctory aspects. And at present there was only a family dinner, with Beatrice and Muriel and the governess, with almost a company tone too, the result of the desire to avoid publicity. Adela admired her father. She knew what he was feeling if Mrs. Godfrey had been at him, And yet she saw him positively gallant. He was mildly austere, or rather, even, what was it? August. Just as coldly equivocal, he never looked at his son, so that at moments he struck her as almost sick with sadness. Godfrey was equally inscrutable, and therefore wholly different from what he had been as he stood before her in the park. If he was to start on his career, with such a wife, wouldn't she utterly blight it? He was already professional enough to know how to wear a mask. Before they rose from table, she felt herself wholly bewildered. So little were such large causes traceable in their effects. She had nerved herself for a great ordeal, but the air was as sweet as an anodyne. It was perfectly plain to her that her father was deadly sore, as pathetic as a person betrayed. He was broken, but he showed no resentment. There was a weight on his heart, but he had lightened it by dressing as immaculately as usual for dinner. She asked herself what immensity of a row there could have been in town to have left his anger so spent. He went through everything, even to sitting with his son after dinner. When they came out together he invited Beatrice and Muriel to the billiard-room and, as Miss Flynn discreetly withdrew, Adela was left alone with Godfrey, who was completely changed and not now in the least of a rage. He was broken too, but not so pathetic as his father. He was only very correct and apologetic, as he said to his sister, I'm awfully sorry you were annoyed. It was something I never dreamed of. She couldn't think immediately what he meant. Then she grasped the reference to her extraordinary invader. She was uncertain, however, what tone to take. Perhaps his father had arranged with him that they were to make the best of it. But she spoke her own despair in the way she murmured, "'Oh, Godfrey, Godfrey, is it true?' "'I've been the most unutterable donkey. You can say what you like to me. You can't say anything worse than I've said to myself.' Oh, brother, my brother. His words made her wail it out. He hushed her with a movement, and she asked, What has father said? He looked very high over her head. He'll give her six hundred a year. Oh, the angel. It was too splendid. On condition, Godfrey scarcely blinked. She never comes near me. She has solemnly promised, and she'll probably leave me alone to get the money. If she doesn't, in diplomacy, I'm lost. He had been turning his eyes vaguely about, this way and that, to avoid meeting hers. But after another instant he gave up the effort, and she had the miserable confession of his glance. I've been living in hell. Oh, brother, my brother, she yearningly repeated. I'm not an idiot. Yet for her I've behaved like one. Don't ask me, you mustn't know. It was all done in a day, and since then fancy my condition, fancy my work in such a torment, fancy my coming through it at all. Thank God you passed, she cried. You were wonderful. I'd have shot myself if I hadn't been. I had an awful day yesterday with the governor, it was late at night before it was over. I leave England next week. He brought me down here for it to look well, so that the children shan't know. He's wonderful, too, Adela murmured. Wonderful, too, Godfrey echoed. Did she tell him? The girl went on. She came straight to Seymour Street from here. She saw him alone first, then he called me in. That luxury lasted about an hour. Poor, poor father, Adela moaned at this, on which her brother remained silent. Then after he had alluded to it as the scene he had lived in terror of, all through his cramming, and she had sighed forth again her pity and admiration, for such a mixture of anxieties and such a triumph of talent, she pursued, Have you told him? Told him what? What you said you would. What I did. Godfrey turned away as if at present he had very little interest in that inferior tribulation. I was angry with you, but I cooled off. I held my tongue. She clasped her hands. You thought of mamma. Oh, don't speak of mamma! he cried in a rueful tenderness. It was indeed not a happy moment, and she murmured, No, if you had thought of her. This made Godfrey face her again with a small flare in his eyes. Oh, then it didn't prevent. I thought that woman really good. I believed in her. Is she very bad? I shall never mention her to you again, he said with dignity. You may believe I won't speak of her. So father doesn't know, the girl asked. Doesn't know what? That I said what I did to Mrs. Churchley. He had a momentary pause. I don't think so, but you must find out for yourself. I shall find out, said Adela, but what had Mrs. Churchley to do with it? With my misery? I told her. I had to tell someone. Why didn't you tell me? He appeared, though but after an instant, to know exactly why. Oh, you take things so beastly hard, you make such rows. Adela covered her face with her hands, and he went on. What I wanted was comfort, not to be lashed up. I thought I should go mad. I wanted Mrs. Churchley to break it to Father, to intercede for me and help him to meet it. She was awfully kind to me. She listened, and she understood. She could fancy how it had happened. Without her I shouldn't have pulled through. She liked me, you know, he further explained, and as if it were quite well worth mentioning, all the more that it was pleasant to him. She said she'd do what she could for me she was full of sympathy and resource. I really leaned on her. But when you cut in, of course, it spoiled everything. That's why I was so furious with you. She couldn't do anything then. Adela dropped her hands, staring. She felt she had walked in darkness. So that he had to meet it alone. "Damn," said Godfrey, who had got up his French tremendously. Muriel came to the door to say Papa wished the two others to join them, and the next day Godfrey returned to town. His father remained at Brinton without an intermission the rest of the summer and the whole of the autumn, and Adela had a chance to find out, as she had said, whether he knew she had interfered. But in spite of her chance, she never found out. He knew Mrs. Churchley had thrown him over, and he knew his daughter rejoiced in it, but he appeared not to have divined the relation between the two facts. It was strange that one of the matters he was clearest about, Adela's secret triumph, should have been just the thing which from this time on justified less and less such a confidence. She was too sorry for him to be consistently glad. She watched his attempts to wind himself up on the subject of shorthorns and drainage, and she favoured to the utmost of her ability his intermittent disposition to make a figure in orchids. She wondered whether they mightn't have a few people at Brinton, but when she mentioned the idea, he asked what in the world there would be to attract them. It was a confoundedly stupid house, he remarked, with all respect to her cleverness. Beatrice and Muriel were mystified. The prospect of going out immensely had faded so utterly away. They were apparently not to go out at all. Colonel Chart was aimless and bored. He paced up and down and went back to smoking, which was bad for him, and looked drearily out of windows, as if on the bare chance that something might arrive. Did he expect Mrs. Churchley to arrive? Did he expect her to relent on finding she couldn't live without him? It was Adela's belief that she gave no sign. But the girl thought it really remarkable of her not to have betrayed her ingenious young visitor. Adela's judgment of human nature was perhaps harsh, but she believed that most women, given the various facts, wouldn't have been so forbearing. This lady's conception of the point of honour placed her there in a finer and purer light than had at all originally promised to shine about her. She, meanwhile, herself could well judge how heavy her father found the burden of Godfrey's folly and how he was incommoded at having to pay the horrible woman six hundred a year. Doubtless he was having dreadful letters from her. Doubtless she threatened them all with hideous exposure. If the matter should be bruited, Godfrey's prospects would collapse on the spot. He thought Madrid very charming and curious, but Mrs. Godfrey was in England, so that his father had to face the music. Adela took a dolorous comfort in her mother's being out of that. It would have killed her, but this didn't blind her to the fact that the comfort for her father would perhaps have been greater— if he had someone to talk to about his trouble. He never dreamed of doing so to her, and she felt she couldn't ask him. In the family life he wanted utter silence about it. Early in the winter he went abroad for ten weeks, leaving her with her sisters in the country, where it was not to be denied that at this time existence had very little savour. She half expected her sister-in-law would again descend on her, but the fear wasn't justified, and the quietude of the awful creature seemed really to vibrate with the ring of gold pieces. There were sure to be extras. Adela winced at the extras. Colonel Chart went to Paris and to Monte Carlo and then to Madrid to see his boy. His daughter had the vision of perhaps meeting Mrs. Churchley somewhere, since, if she had gone for a year, she would still be on the continent. If he should meet her, perhaps the affair would come on again. She caught herself musing over this, but he brought back no such appearance, and, seeing him after an interval, she was struck afresh with his jilted and wasted air. She didn't like it. She resented it. A little more and she would have said that that was no way to treat so faithful a man. They all went up to town in March, and on one of the first days of April she saw Mrs. Churchley in the park. "'She herself remained apparently invisible to that lady, "'she herself and Beatrice and Muriel, "'who sat with her in their mother's old bottle-green landau. "'Mrs. Churchley, perched higher than ever, rode by without her recognition. "'But this didn't prevent Adela's going to her "'before the month was over. "'As on her great previous occasion, "'she went in the morning, "'and she again had the good fortune to be admitted. "'This time, however, her visit was shorter,' And a week after making it, the week was a desolation, she addressed to her brother at Madrid a letter containing these words. I could endure it no longer. I confessed and retracted. I explained to her as well as I could the falsity of what I had said to her ten months ago and the benighted purity of my motives for saying it. I besought her to regard it as unsaid, to forgive me, not to despise me too much to take pity on poor, perfect papa and come back to him. She was more good-natured than you might have expected. Indeed, she laughed extravagantly. She had never believed me. It was too absurd. She had only, at the time, disliked me. She found me utterly false. She was very frank with me about this, and she told papa she really thought me horrid. She said she could never live with such a girl, and as I would certainly never marry, I must be sent away. In short, she quite loathed me. Papa defended me. He refused to sacrifice me, and this led practically to their rupture. Papa gave her up, as it were, for me. Fancy the angel, and fancy what I must try to be to him for the rest of his life. Mrs. Churchley can never come back. She's going to marry Lord Dovedale. Thanks for joining us. Tune in to another session of Just Listen by visiting your Nashville Public Library website at library.nashville.org.